Gorak Dog Earthlets. My name is Conrad, alongside my friend Fox, and this is the 86th episode of Space Spinner 2000. Oof. A podcast Oof. where two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode we're covering 2000 AD for September 1982, progs 280 to 283. This week, the World Cup comes to Britsit, Mean Machine comes back to life, and Mean, mean Arena comes to a close. Yeah, somehow... Like not the not the ones divisible by five, but like the weird even number ones uh, hit even harder than the, the big anniversaries. You know, it's pretty fair. <laughs> like, oh my like god, random episode eighty six makes it feel like oh, we've just been doing this a long time. <laughs> I I mean, it's a lot. I when we hit our centennial, I'm gonna just I don't know die. Oh, I'm super excited for it. it's gonna be like mid. <laughs> Mid eighty three. Oh yeah. Oh Jesus. I I'm gonna drink. I I'll be drunk for that. Oh okay. Wow. Maybe it's gonna be an occasion. <laughs> <laughs> oh what an asshole! Be like it's not hundred Conrad. These <laughs> fucking comic books I've read is like a million. It's definitely gonna be over three hundred. I'll say that. Oh God. <laughs> So many comics. It's true. And I've hey, never read this many comics uh, in my life. No, man. This is, we're, we're setting all kinds of records. And speaking, again, these comics, Fox. Inside Everyone is a terrible cook. Someone who can make disgusting meals every night of the week. Cesspool fresh ingredients. Step-by-step recipes delivered to your door. It's Otto Sump's Gunge Box. This month's meals include maggot steaks with slime sauce and crispy slug flakes, beetle boring naan with spicy fat cubes and a spider wine reduction, and the new captain's pie with sea slugs, crushed shells, limpets, and seaweed topped with a rich squid ink sauce. All these meals are available in pre-chewed servings for Elsters and come with auto sumps guarantee it's tasty. Use the offer code SPINNER for 25% off your first order. Auto Sumps Gunge Box, a terrible way to cook. Thrill One, Robo Hunter. Tune. Uh, scene opens with a uh, vagina mouth monster <laughs> busting oh through a wall. <laughs> A uh, script about Alan Grant and John Wagner as, um, or sorry, Alan, Gr- script robot, I'll start again. Script robot Alan Grant, art robot Ian Gibson, letting robot Steve Potter. Yeah, so Stam Slade, he's garden kid, the grown up baby dude, he's in a hospital room. Last episode, a smoke grenade was tossed in there, and from that smoke comes a huge scary monster! It's real scary, and Sam, I guess, is real asleep. Yep, yeah, he sleep- starts sleeping through it. Um, eventually Sam wakes up. Starts kicking the kicking the beast, and the beast um, reveals itself to be Andy, the shape changing alien from kids' TV show. Man, these attacks sure are starting to seem very similar, and featuring many people from kids' just per daily life. I'd say. Um, Andy grows wings and flies away. Sam grabs Andy's legs and gets carried off with him. And what do you do when you're flying super high above a city, holding on to some weird alien? I guess you just bite it in the yeah. foot. Only one way to fight, buddy. You gotta fight. Gotta fight dirty when you're midair. <laughs> it's pretty rough. 
Sam fights the alien and Kid is left alone. Well, I mean, he's with Hoagie, so he's basically alone. <laughs> That's, I, that joke was great. There's nothing in there, man. Mm-mm. Uh, Sam beats Andy, and then Andy reveals that he was, in fact, a diversion for the real assassination, which is happening right now. Oh, my God. Two doctors come in, one of them weirdly looking exactly, probably definitely like the director. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a bunch of doctors come get kid for the operation, and as Sam rushes to save him, the cra- a crowd of doctors in an operating room reveal themselves to be... Pretty much everybody in kid's life. <laughs> I, I love when he was running there that uh, Stogie was like, hey, by the way, the fact that you're able to totally run this fast is because I weaned you off nicotine. <laughs> and man, I don't know if that's the nicotine so much as the smoke. <laughs> I mean, it's it's got to be a combination of the two, right? I'd imagine. Like, I mean, especially I feel like the, the, the nuance of this uh, 1982 comic is just sort of saying nicotine and smoke are sort of essentially the same, you know? I mean, Superman definitely delivered that message a few times. And you got to remember, in a pre-vape society, there's not a lot of differentiation between smoking cigarettes and inhaling smoke in any other way, you know? That's pretty fair. <laughs> At least not for kids. You know what I'm talking about. Anyhow. Oh. <laughs> All these people want to kill Kid, and they've teamed up to do so. So, they're going to kill Kid. Sam bursts into an operating room blasting, but it's the wrong room. He just takes out a bunch of doctors and trying to save somebody's life. Uh-oh. Real, real quality uh, robo-hunter situation. <laughs> you got to shoot first and ask questions later. That's, like, what you're supposed to do, right? <laughs> he runs out of the room and is like, hey, send some more doctors in there. I got to go. <laughs> Luckily, before any cuts can be made on Kid, Sam is finally able to burst in and fire a few shots. Everyone's arrested, and Kid's show is canceled, making his popularity nosedive. He goes to open a supermarket to make some money and gets booed. Mm. Um, well, and, no one likes him, man, because he yeah. put his mom's head on a monkey. It's true, yeah. All, this, all the d- disastrous details of his personal life come out. When he gets booed, he starts opening, he opens fire on the crowd. <laughs> Which, I like, I can't imagine, because the next scene, he's opening up, a detective agency. Well, yeah, he lost. He loses almost all of his fortune in the resulting lawsuits. You know, Sam's made 30,000 30, credits and Kid's ruined, which is, seems like it's a good time. But instead, it looks like Kid's used his remaining credit to open a detective agency of his own right across the street. If Sam can do it, anybody can. I mean, not if you open fire on a group of innocent bystanders. He's very short-tempered, Fox. I mean, what do you expect from a uh, popular child star? Or I guess a, more than a slap on the wrists. An adult star in a child body. I don't know. <laughs> we already had that one. It's true. So, okay, new story time, Fox. Oh man, I'm into I'm gonna- new stories. I'm going to say right ahead of time, I just want to give huge ups to uh, to Steve Green and Colin YNWA from the 2080 forums because they helped me decode this uh, Robo Hunter story and I would have not been able to otherwise. Oh, really? Now yeah. I'm fucking interested now. Well, no, because, you know, so the Robo World Cup has come to Britsit, right, Fox? Yeah. Everybody's super stoked. We see various sides, like, you know, they're, they're reviewed, and they're reviewed by a bunch of broadcaster bots all named Brian. Yeah, I did not get that. 1982 was the World Cup, excuse me, it was in Spain. Um, 
And so there's a lot of World Cup coverage, and these Brian bots are basically name are basically a reference to the broadcasters of the time. There's a guy named Brian Clow and a guy named Brian Moore. So they've all named all the all the broadcasters Brian, even though one of these guys is apparently named uh, Jimmy Hill. Also, I think they had the hat. Um, oh, okay. So Sam is Sam is not stoked about the World Cup, you know, because obviously American doesn't know, you know, knows dick all about football, basically. Man, <laughs> mad respect, bro. I understand your. I mean, it's not a confusing sport, but you know, I just not cultured to it, you know. I mean, in yeah. here in here in 2018, it's like who cares anyhow? Because America isn't even in the World Cup, much to our shame. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Stogie super pissed that Cuba isn't in the tournament. Um, not only finding out after Sam <laughs> explains it to him. He bought all of this uh, celebrating Cuba in the World Cup stuff. He didn't even know if Cuba was playing it or not. It's a fix. It's a stinking <laughs> It's a fix. <laughs> um, Hoskins, the hotel detective, is both super excited for the tourney and that he's found some aliens to turn into oh. Sam, which is, of course, part of Sam's long-term grift to stay at the Savoy <laughs> Hotel. Which it hasn't really come to pass until now. Well, there's been one or two times where okay. he, I, I, I think there was one time where he like turned somebody in or suspected someone of being an alien, and Sam was like, "Nah, mm. it's fine." And this time, Sam managed to send the aliens on their way, and Hoskins watches the game on Sam's TV. Which, come on, bro. Yeah, you know he's just super. You know he doesn't want to miss part of the game by going back to his office to watch it. I guess. No. So we see uh, the Britsit. Um, offense, which is made up of a Kev, two Trevs, and a Bev. Which, what? Yeah, they they seem to be off their game, and these characters are based off of uh, English soccer players, uh, Kev Keegan, Trev Francis, or Trevor Francis, and Trevor uh, Brooking. So I guess there there were a Kev and two Trevs on the uh, British national team in 82. And the, and the Bev is the yuck? We're just, yeah, that's the, uh, it's a uh, Kev, two Trev, and a Bev. That is the uh, law of threes right there. <laughs> Jesus. Um, but uh, after the game, Sam gets a call on his hollow phone. It's the English manager Ron, clearly based on Ron Greenwood, who was the manager of the England team. Um, and we and get we get like a weird joke going in there. One hundred and five percent effort, Ron. <laughs> that feels like I feel like that's just something that like apparently I looked on the Wikipedia page for Ron Good Greenwood, and he is prone to making uh you know. Weird statements like of uh, like sports statements, kind of like that. Um, oh, okay. But he wants Sam to look at the problem with Kev, Bev, and the Trevs. Um, so now, instead of avoiding it, Sam is now deep in World Cup fever. Next hey, man, time. He's going to get paid. Exactly. Next time, meet Ron and Don. Oh, this is not going to stop, is it? I'm thinking, well, I think Ron is still Ron Greenwood, and then I believe Don is like the coach or some other like guy on the uh, English national team, you know? Gotcha. So there's just a lot of, ugh, a lot of British stuff in this one, <laughs> in this storyline, Fox. No, dude, it was cleared for takeoff. I figured that the Brian, Brian, Brian and Brian thing was something. I mean, you can tell from looking at all the bots, right? All the robots for these things. Yeah, they've got a, yeah, they've got a very detailed look that makes them clearly look like Ian Gibson doing caricatures of uh, real people and stuff. Um, yeah, this is going to be a fun story, I think. I think it's funny when they do, like, 
or I, th- I think it's interesting when they do um, like contemporary things through the lens of science fiction and stuff. Just in you know theoretically, I think that's cool, and it's I think it's interesting yeah. how they do it here. There's some rough parts in this story too. I'm not going to lie to you about it, Fox. Um, <laughs> what like you mean you, they're they're not going to run into uh, uh, a robot Don that uh, keeps a live human being inside of a birdcage, and that all devolves into them running through a theme park full of robots? Mostly, I'm just saying that like the fact that this is going to deal with a lot of nationalistic stuff because it's being the World Cup means there uh, might there might be some racism <laughs> in the course of this story. Fox. Oh, okay. And by and by might I mean it's gonna get kind of racist in the course of this story. <laughs> All right, I'm mentally preparing myself. Kind, kind of really, actually. But anyhow, I mean, are we talking like Mach One, early Mach One? Yeah, oh. like you know, <laughs> like there's gonna be like a weird Sultan guy who's obsessed with gold. I'm gonna say there's gonna be like Asian characters that speak in a uh, that are transpose their R's and L's. Oh, well, that's gonna be funny. <laughs> it's gonna be something. And anyhow, speaking of comics with new stories, Fox, it's Ooh. Thrill Two Rogue Trooper. Man, we get some uh, we get some helmet depth. Yeah, man. So, scripter about Jerry Finley Day, art about Cam Kennedy, letting about Bill Nuttall. Um, yes, yeah, so we start with action. Rogues dives under some rocks to hide from Nort aircraft, but Helm comes loose. Oh, man. He never gets off that guy's head. It's true. Yeah. Uh, Rogue is forced to shoot Helm under a rock to uh, avoid some uh, Nort detection. And then it turns out that Helm's chin strap has been eaten away by chem clouds, making him not fit right. Which is Damn. apparently Helm's fault somehow. I don't know. Helm feels yeah. he says very very apologetic about it. Um, and everyone just like heckles him for it. I'm like, you mean like normal wear and tear when you're how's just he running g- through a combat zone? How is he supposed to change his strap? He's not like Bagman <laughs> that has arms, man. He's just a hat. Yeah, dude. He's literally a talking hat. He's got sensors, that's about it. Yeah. Ahead, the Norths have dropped pillboxes, which I think are these pretty cool uh, yes. robotic sentry guns that Correct. just cover a whole area and shoot miniguns at, at, at anything that moves, basically. And then it's like really one after like another and stuff. They're really cool. Mm. So how they, do you take them out, Conrad? Well, they have uh, Rogue pinned down. He managed to take one out with a grenade, but when he tries to take another one out, it turns out that these pillboxes also have arms to <laughs> throw grenades back at people who throw grenades into them, which I think is a, uh. a pretty smart way to deal with that kind of thing. Man, and that's an 88, what the Nords hate or something. Mm-hmm. It's going to um, be a pretty big explosive. Yeah. So, with the grenade tossed back, um, Rogue will be killed by his own grenade unless he sacrifices Helm by covering the grenade with the helmet, which will probably destroy, like, his biochip and blah, blah, blah. And here's Helm saying, like, put me on it, man. Yeah, Throw use, me on that grenade. Use me, Rogue. Which I feel weird whenever, whenever these guys <laughs> say that, honestly. They say it a fair amount. It's bothersome. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Like I, it, it, I, I guess it makes sense. And I guess it would make sense that a, a GI would be able to understand this. But I feel weird about how readily these GIs have accepted just being objects. You know, gives gives a whole new meaning to him uh, putting his entire hand inside of Gunner. Exactly. Oh my gosh. So in the end, <laughs> uh, Rogue gives in to Helm's demand and covers the grenade with the headgear. But it turns out the grenade is a dud. 
Why? So this is where I'd be like Bagman, and he'd be like, "Well, yeah, it looks like me. looks like two biochips are screwing up this week." <laughs> I know. Come on, guys. But the confusion allows Rogue to attack to a to basically grapple with one of the sentry guns, mess with its circuit, and make it turn on the other guns, which allows Rogue to escape. He then repairs Helm's chin strap just in time for Helm to deflect headshots from a pair of Nort ambushers. Oh, man. He's a double hero. He's pretty stoked. (laughs) And so, looks like now Rogue has a big head on top of his head. Oh! (laughs) (laughs) Yes! Anyhow, oh, new man. story, Fox. <laughs> yeah, always it's always the right time, you know. We got so much regular story stuff. We're cutting back on our on all the future shocks and stuff. We got to get these air horns where we uh, where we can. That's pretty fair. <laughs> so, new story: a long crashed Nord War satellite serves as a base for a group called the Marauders, led by a mysterious leader. Mm. Uh, Meanwhile, Rogue is on the move, but finds his way into a Nort camp where he's caught in a man trap, and the alarm is raised. It's and a pretty lo- cool trap. It's an arm that attaches to your foot. Totally, and then just starts screaming, screaming like hell. Um, things look bad, but then, um, as, especially when a squadron of Nort hoppers appears in the sky, but then the hoppers turn out to not be Norts. It's the Marauders. Oh heck! And they're—it's a mixed bag of Norts and Southers. Yeah, they're fighting together. They're taking down the Norts, looting the place, and they free Rogue. Uh, Rogue asks if they know who the traitor general might be, and while they don't, like they they bet their chief might. I I, I actually the guys are pretty warm in reception to the GI man. They're like, yeah, hey, you're pretty cool, dude, and let's help you out. And why don't you come back with us? Like, yeah. not in that like sending creepy vibes. Like maybe these are bad dudes. Yeah. It's like, hey man, come yeah, come chill with us. Because I think they sort of recognize a kindred spirit in Rogue, who's also sort of turned his back from Millicom and the centralized parts of um of a South or the, the, the South military. You know, he's kind of out for himself too. He, these the Marauders have also, you know, gone rogue. Anyhow. Oh, <laughs> oh man, now you're getting greedy. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna get greedy. I like air horns. <laughs> so Rogue shows the Marauders some pictures of possible Souther generals who could be the traitor, and he agrees to fly back to the base where we see the leader of the Marauders. He's all scarred up and stuff, but in his inner monologue, he lets us know that he is the traitor general. Man, like kind of feel let down out of that one it's just like it just screams it like ah, i'm a weird looking dude and i'm the traitor yeah no it's definitely you know we'll we're you know it's good to get to the next part of this and not have to be in full like suspense plus it gives us sort of some columbo style dramatic irony here at least for one um prog <laughs> so rogue heads to the marauder base and hopes to find the traitor um the traitor meanwhile remembers his backstory Basically, both he and Rogue escaped the Buzzard 3, uh, but when he did, the heat shields on his pod malfunctioned, as opposed to all the other pods whose heat shields he sabotaged. <laughs> womp womp. That left him um, to be bur- the uh, burnt and scarred up mess we currently see, although I'll mention Fox, it's not clear how this jives with the fact that he was unscarred and looking normal while working for the Norts during that uh, Glasshouse G caper a couple huh. months ago. 
So hopefully that'll be resolved. You know, who knows? <laughs> Anyhow. Yeah, so Rogue goes to talk to the general with Helm scanning the area, scanning the area and declaring it's safe. But oh no, from beyond a kilometer out, it's Morgan, the deadliest of the Nort snipers, complete with the black dome helmet of a thousand seal Dude, bursts. I loved that, like, added addition. The reason that he's in this black dome yeah. head case. Super deadly. Yeah, he draws down on Rogue. Um, he's and he's working for the for the leader of the Marauders because he's the traitor general, and now he's gonna kill Rogue. Oh my God! What is gonna happen next time on Rogue Trooper? Uh, Morg or, or Morgan Marauders mayhem. Pretty cool. <laughs> it's pretty good. This Marauder storyline is going to be fun, and I really love um, the confrontation between the traitor general and Rogue. And getting this part of the story really going, you know. My favorite part was when he punched a turret and then made it shoot all of its turret buddies. That was really awesome, too. <laughs> turn. Those <laughs> turrets just turn against each other real quick. So it's like, oh, I'm a turret. I'm going to take down the outsiders to be like, oh, all the other turrets are outsiders. I'm going to destroy them, too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting into Rogue. There's a lot more blowing things up that's going on right now. Yeah, the action's rant ratcheting up a little bit, and I think we talked about this with Dixie too. But I think Rogue does better in like longer form stories, like multi issue stories, than one offs. I'd say. Yeah, I agree. Just because there's the, yeah, good. I was gonna say like there's no he doesn't have the glee of Bill Savage, right? He's exactly manhunt. So it's like, well, just make it about that. You know? Yeah, I mean, I think yeah, I think that as opposed to Savage, who you know, in Invasion, where you could sort of back up the fact that sort of a problem is presented and then immediately solved by the fact that it's solved by like <laughs> gleeful ultraviolence, you know, um, or just a shotgun. Well, that's what I mean. But like, you know, since Rogue's maybe a little bit more down to earth, or so, like in terms of the level of violence that he puts out as comparison as a compared to Bill Savage, almost exactly. <laughs> like it just makes it seem. Like like it's not that big a deal because he's able to solve it fast. You know, it's sort of um, less. Im- it, it just makes his threat seem less impressive as opposed to Savage, who solves things quickly, and that makes him seem more impressive. I guess. Yeah, absolutely. He's a super soldier. He's going to kill dudes. Yeah, totally. Anyhow, speaking of uh, of a mayhem, Fox. Oh man! And just everything <sighs> reaching its ultimate destiny. <laughs> God. It's Thrill 3 Mean Arena. Opening shot of uh, him just like fucking with no armor on his hand, just like full on punching a robot. Taking down a robot. Making it explode. With a weird like eye thing on that I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) So you don't get parts in your eyes. It's a script robot, a Ridgeway art robot, Jim Eldridge, letting robot Peter Knight. So, we see Matt Talon in, in, in training, and his team wants to know the identity of the remaining Hexa Gang members. Um, we're assuming that the previous four were Eartha Trent, Jaws Jensen, Simon Jessup, and whoever that guy that was controlling the zombie droids a few months back yeah. was. I mean, that was his big bluff to, to the TV reporters, was like, I know the next two, and I'm going to get you. Yeah, yes, yes. Sam claims to know the other two, but he's not telling even 
Um, as enthusiastic team members want to know, you know, Matt says it's his own fight, so he's keeping it to himself and let those two sweat it out. Yeah, it's not clear if he actually does know. I don't think he does, but he's definitely no, doing it. definitely does not. He's definitely letting the other two members sweat it out. Um, and they Although are... arguably... Yeah. We know within the next two panels. It's true. Yeah. Well, at least one of them. Um, the remaining two are definitely sweating. They decide it's time to finally put an end to, to Talon just before an upcoming exhibition match when these Slayers play the rest of Europe in a giant video game arena. This is like, like, really? <laughs> Just make a big old video. It's like, it's in a giant video game. It's like something my dad would say. It's very uh, 1982 yeah. <laughs> version of a video game, I'd say. Yeah. So what do you do in the video game? It's just got a bunch of like flash and lights and robots and <laughs> automated traps. I don't know. <laughs> I guess that's what it and is And you now. get into it by going into a joint giant uh, coin slot, I guess. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he makes a whole in credit joke. Mm-hmm. So uh, Kevin O'Connor, the uh, the big broadcaster of Mean Arena, uh, shows us around the video game area, introduces us to the man behind it, our, of course, favorite uh, wheelchair-bound cyber goblin, Rolo Hardy. Um, <laughs> Looking weird on TV. Trying to say that as much as possible in these last two uh, progs. Um, yeah, absolutely. Anyhow, he's not worried about uh, the hexagang attack and talent here. It's completely safe. We all go over the features of the arena. Like I said, it's got droid players, street traps, decoy balls, all controlled from a central panel. So a murder panel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, like, if there's one thing I know from places that are computer controlled from a single panel, and mostly what I know about that is from uh, the Danger Room on X-Men, oh. it's that it immediately becomes incredibly dangerous, even when it's working under uh, regular conditions. <laughs> right. But so, uh, Brazen's worried, but Talon's cool. He suits up to go walk the arena as his, is his custom all in his own, a thing we haven't seen previously in the course of Mean Arena. <laughs> yeah, and he, he mentions that his brother used to do it too, and it's like a family thing. It's like this weird passing remark. Yeah, I mean, okay, I guess, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's like, f- fucking cool, I guess, just do that then, F you. Yeah. Totally. Um, as he walks, though, things start to happen. The arena comes to life. A droid shoots him and a trap, and the traps are starting up. A voice on the control shouts that it's game on for Talon, and the and prize is his life. And then some maniacal laughter. Uh, and one last Tom Tully special as a mysterious hand works the control <laughs> panel. <laughs> Oh, um, man. So Immediately arena- not mysterious within three panels. Well, I mean, it's the next prog, to be fair. Um, yeah. So the arena's turned against him. Matt looks up to see who's at the control panel. It's the final two members of the Hexa gang, Rolo Hardy and Kevin O'Connor. And no one was surprised. Mm-mm. Talon points out how they both made a lot of money on Paul, his brother. Then they hung him out to dry when he got hurt. They confirm this and say, now it's time they shut up Talon. For good. Man, um, oh man. Cozy Flex is going to hurt in profits after this. I guess. Yeah, they're killing their big mascot, I guess. But anyhow. Yeah. Um, uh, Talon's able to communicate with Brazen, who in turn is able to direct Talon to the main energy junction of the arena, which Talon shoots with his droid gun, sending a massive charge of electricity back to control room, <sighs> instantly frying O'Connor and Hardy alive. Revenge has been had. Talon is stoked. 
But now that the weight is off his is off of him, it's time to start playing with a clear conscience. The game's about to start. Let's go, Slayers! The end of Mean Arena. <laughs> Man, such a lame way to end. It definitely feels like they were just sort of like, all right, like enough of this. Just like uh, close the gate. <laughs> Let's vaporize them the into a computer. Mother yep. Earth had like had like four or five issues of them fighting cool vampire guys and they had like steak a dude through the heart i mean we spent like a quarter on jaws jensen you know um and jaws jensen was so i mean that one was fine there was shark heads they had to climb into and shit yeah i mean so let's talk a little bit about mean arena now that we're finally done with it man this thing mean arena premiered like with the big 2080 relaunch in 1980 like when meltdown man and um return to armageddon started like right at the end of the judge child and stuff oh my god yeah it's been here like it's it's been a part of us for or you know a, a part of our podcast for a long time um, so, so I think like the rough thing here is like, it's what it compares to, right? Like is, mm-hmm. or, or rather I like, I'm not saying that it should be better or worse than say Harlem heroes or, or Inferno, but I, I think my ultimate problem is that it was, uh, ultimately less focused. So like at first it's showing us these two things that could potentially be going on and we're like, man, it's a sports comic and we want to see more of this. Yeah. And I definitely changed way more over to the side of blood vendetta. Uh, yeah, definitely. Once, once he started doing these elaborate, stupid like ways in which to have them accidentally kill himself so that he's simultaneously off the hook and gets his revenge, but then takes credit for it for no reason. Yeah. And then espouses how the this whole thing is a sham and street football is killing people while also saying he's super proud to play street football. Like, I, I liked that because it was just at least a little funny and murderous whereas you know harlem heroes man they had to solve that shit on the court yep yeah i mean i i agree that i thought it was that the uh the 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 mix between sports and revenge was sort of a little rough in the course of mean arena um i really liked how the first you know i i i I really kind of you know i made jokes about it but i thought it was still kind of fun how in the first two we tried to make the um he tried, he tried to make the debt, the emer- the uh, revenges, like kind of like symbolic, or make them sort of like be similar to the way that his brother died because mm. of um, the influence of the people who he was revenging against. You know? Yeah, exactly. Um, I think it's a little. I think what's a little interesting is just like I agree with you about it not being focused, but I'd say it's more unfocused about the storyline. You know, mm. like I think it's an interesting thing how how in the later parts of this story. Um, the Hexa gang has showed up and been, and been mysterious and being a, someone who Talon doesn't know who they are or whatever. When it started, Talon very much seemed to know who the people he was looking for revenge uh, on were, right? Yeah. Like he knew Jaws Jensen was the guy that kind of directly led to his brother's death. He knew that the doctor has sort of been putting him back on the field and not giving him a chance to rest and heal up and stuff like that. So he definitely knew who those guys were. I think having it be mysterious from us, or the reader, was one thing, but having it also be mysterious to um, to Talon was weird, I guess. Mm. Also, yeah. yeah. I want to so say also please. that there's just a lot of like dropped storylines in, in Mean Arena. Like, mm. if you remember at the end of the, uh, of the Jensen gang, um, storyline like that um lady reporter showed up 
and oh god and like steve dillon really drew her as like this black lady was really like pretty and like seemed to be interested in talent and stuff um and it seemed like that could be like you know like a a female lead for the story but instead they just ditched her like in like one episode basically i mean they Um, effectively did that with brazen by having her show up then not having her be there then having her show up and basically be robin brazen's like that i mean i'm really like the fact that like we don't know what happened to chip the robot kid oh man why rollo hardy a presumably a member of this conspiracy assigned a a uh, a robot that helped matt carry out his revenge to yeah. Matt, right um and i think in general yeah, the just though could have tried to kill him and- or something yeah like that would have been a great confrontation for matt to have to take out um chip uh, you know have to they, them having to fight and show down you know um, mm. all, or Chip maybe overcoming his programming and doing something like that, having a redemptive arc. Um, I think also, um, someone's, I forget who, I'm really sorry that I forgot your name, uh, listener, but someone asked me about like a Blade Runner type, um, aspect of Mean Arena. Like, me, one thing that, that's a big, that's a big side thing in Mean Arena is all these androids, right, that are placed inside squads and the, team members don't know that they're androids but if you figure out that they are an android you can just kill them right yeah so presumably they're really good at passing for human and stuff so could there be like a subplot of like what if matt town's an android you know yes exactly who has a fake memory and has maybe been put out there as like a tool by some like i don't know by some other person to take out a bunch of of people to like help them get power like what if like what if like instead like whatever the guy who owned like uh, a slater the guy who owned the slayers right if he was like trying to take control of street football so he made this robot matt town who actually did die in saint Lewis um, and Jeez. Had, like now has a robot Matt Slayer who thinks that he's out for revenge but is instead just clearing the way for Slater to become the chief of street football or something you know I I just like for me it was um, there was a point like the reason I'm the most disappointed at how this ends is that so Rollo Hardy is revealed which is very Harlem Heroes esque mm-hmm. um, but like Let's say Matt Talon knew who these people were when he joined the team, but mm-hmm. Rollo Hardy doesn't know that he knows. Yeah. And so it's just finding the right opportunity. Uh, and that could have been like this whole interesting thing. I would have loved to see how he killed the announcer because that dude's a prick. Haven't yeah. liked him since the beginning. But instead, they just get vaporized into a video game machine and yeah, play I Mario mean- for the rest of their life, I guess. Yeah, it was definitely very much of um, a, uh, hey, let's just drop the boom on this. We're going to start Harry 20 pretty soon. So whatever, you know. Um, yeah. So, you know, uh, yeah, I think and I think it's just a lot of these like possible interesting story things just sort of got, I don't know, sacrificed at the altar of this like, um, you know, old school storytelling thing of not really advancing things and just kind of <laughs> keeping things dirtling around for long periods and stuff like that. You oh, know? I like that word dirtling. I mean, you know, it's, I'm using it correctly. I want to say, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's, it's a bummer. So, you know, um, that's sort of, yeah, so, so that's it for Mean Arena. Uh, Mean Arena, or a story named Mean Arena, will be back in uh, the 90s, and it's going to be sort of a, a TV sci-fi gladiator kind of thing. Um, cool. 
but that's for a, a long way out. I think the, we, there's one more real sports story coming up. That's going to be called, uh, confusingly, Mean Team, which what? is going to be a sports thing for a little bit, but I don't think it's going to be, it's going to, or I think halfway through that one's going to get rebooted as a, uh, as like a fantasy story. So just keep an eye out for that one. What? Don't worry about, you know, well, no, that's right. I'm not going to say don't worry about it. I'm just going to say <laughs> we're going to get to it. It's on the, you know, it's up it's 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 on the horizon still you know but it sounds bad it's gonna be it's not gonna be great (laughs) (laughs) but you know i will say that while i've been you know we've been pretty harsh on mean arena this whole you know throughout and today especially as we sort of talk about what things that that could have been i have appreciated mean arena always being there to be the bottom thrill (laughs) And not <laughs> let us have to make hard choices. <laughs> now we appreciate you for what you've got. Exactly. Um, now we're entering into a period without that, and where now I know it, I at least am looking at the upcoming months and getting real nervous because it means I'm going to have to make some real hard choices about some of my favorite characters and some of their great greatest stories in terms of what's the bottom. You know. Ugh. Anyhow. With with that said, speaking of blood debts, speaking of uh, just getting through things, it's non thrills covers nerve center and pop culture robots. Damn, two eighty one. It's tasty. Auto, mm. yeah. Auto Sump is selling Gunge in an iconic Ron Smith cover. This one's a real famous Judge Red cover. I gotta say. Um, you, you can eat it right out of the can. It's so tasty. Definitely. I mean, it's not going to be improved by cooking, honestly. <laughs> you don't think about gunge. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, I've seen what it looks like when yeah. you cook it. In the, in the Nerve Center, Tharg, the early year was, warns us of the coming long-range thrill forecast. There's also a reader out of Judge Scrawl and letters cool. asking who Frank Zappa is, which gets a pretty funny joke answer. Like He's like a, a bus driver in London. Um <laughs> Wow. And then there's comp, which is obviously a joke by Thug, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Um, compliments yeah. of, on future shocks and a letter from a soldier currently stationed in the Falklands. You know, we haven't huh. had a chance to talk about this that much, Fox, just because it has been mentioned in the, uh, in the Prague. But like, you know, from April to June this year, there's been the Falklands War going on in, uh, in whatever, uh. you know, the lower Atlantic as two bald men fight over a comb, as was so famously said. Uh, But, you know, it's interesting because we also didn't really see a lot of mention of um, the wedding of, like, Charles and Diana, um, Mm. I think maybe last year in the Progs. Like, I think we just saw – we just knew it was happening through in, like – ads where people were that i think there was one ad where they were like giving away a micro tv for you to watch the ceremony or something oh yeah but otherwise there just hasn't been a lot of, of, of that of that current event stuff in 2080 specifically which i think is, is kind of interesting i guess yeah man um won't always be that way i guess um but anyhow oh. yeah i just, those are the two big signposts for me because i'm a uh i'm a uh, rotten american and thus uh the royal wedding and the falklands war are basically the two pieces of news that i know about british in the 1980s oh. <laughs> fair so uh mid prog d mill the uh movie droid is here with some mm. more movie news he tells us to get hype for <laughs> for, for a re- revenge of the Jedi, um, classically renamed. Yeah, more three D movies possibly, and Blade Runner, which real good. Of course, I mean, 
other than countless, countless remasters. Yeah, this is the theatrical cut of, of a Blade Runner, which I believe is no longer available for purchase anywhere in the world. <laughs> yeah, you got to get that shit on the illegal. Exactly, yeah. Um, and then this prog ends with the long-range thrill, thrill cast. Very exciting. Um, they, they talk about three new thrills coming up. Uh, mm. Harry, Harry 20 on the high rock, uh, Skiz, and Slain. Oh, yeah. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> I, I just don't want, know what any of these things are. Don't worry. You, you will, buddy. Um, anyhow, I just want to say, um, that I'd like to send well wishes to, uh, Jim Bakey, who is the artist for Skiz and who died at the end of 2017. Um, oh. and I can't wait to get to that storyline, which is, I'll tell you right now, Fox, it's the first, um, like weekly sto- uh, thrill written by Alan Moore. Um, oh. And it's basically like E.T. if E.T. had landed in like a down and out blue collar English city instead of sort of of suburban Southern California. And the differences are very important, I'd say. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's real good. Also, just for the record, we'll all, well, we'll be pronouncing slain, slain as slain in the, uh, on this podcast. And I'm not going to go with crazy Celtic pronunciations because that just seems silly. Although canonically, I think it's actually like a slaw or something like that. Whoa. Cause there's a lot of like, one, there's a lot of like, um, accents and stuff. And two, it's like one of those Welsh names where like, you know, Sibohan becomes Siobhan and stuff like that. What the fuck? Have you, have you, you don't know how how Siobhan is spelled, dude. You gotta look that up. Man, I <laughs> it's like C I C I O B A H N or something like that. I have no fucking idea what you're talking about. <laughs> There's a pretty funny YouTube video where it's just a Welsh guy having people uh, try to pronounce Welsh names and then pronouncing how they're actually pronounced, and the differences are dramatic. <laughs> oh, Wales. That's so cute. So this prog ends with a droid pinup for D-Mill, and this one is, I'd say it's not as good as the one last month of uh, yeah. of, D- of DJ1, just because Robin Smith sort of isn't going as crazy on it as uh, Ron Smith did for, for uh, the DJ1 last time. It's whatever. He looks like a critic with a bullhorn. Exactly. Or like an old-timey director or something. I mean, I guess like mm. Cecil B. DeMille probably, but whatever. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, it's definitely the name comes from. I'll say that. Um, mm. 281, it's a sweet double cover by Ascara. Uh, one of Dread's old enemies returns. But which one? Oh, man. Well, I can uh, tell you it's not the dead ones. Yeah. I well, would imagine. I mean, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> that's patently false. The answer is the bottom two, and then one other one. <laughs> I, In, you know, I, I just think it'd be just such a stretch to get the frog guy back, or you know, yeah, no, I missed that frog guy. Well, I mean, you know, Clegs, we're gonna have Clegs, man. That's just a society, you know. <laughs> Clegs are beautiful. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, sh- sh- shout out to my man, sensitive Clegg. Um, in the Aww. in the nerve center, Motor Tharg welcomes us. So cool. Welcomes the readers to uh, or welcomes us to the comic as readers compliment the pop culture robots, accuse Sister Sledge of, of treachery, and uh, the Vimian Dreadnought time crashing picture I mentioned last week is exposed as a fraud by two different readers. Oh, damn! Which Shot is tough. Fired. I'll say also, um, before we even recorded this episode, a fan of the show emailed me and admitted that um, his brother actually drew that picture, which I thought was one of the greatest um, emails I've ever gotten from 2000. 
<laughs> the course Whoa. of this podcast. Hey, man. He was like, he was like, yeah, my, uh, you know, my brother's a total Grexnix and like did this, uh, one reader art thing that was published in color and everybody yelled at him for copying it from a bunch of different places. He definitely Damn. did copy it and has brought shame to our family. So I won't name oh him my again. God. But shout out to that guy. He's super awesome. Yeah. Hey, man. Been a fan of the show. Yeah. So mid prog, there's some great reader art. The clear winner for me is the Judge Child swearing revenge drawn by an anonymous Earthlet. Oh, really? <laughs> really? I, I actually, I really liked uh, the one by Anthony Evans of Workshop Nuts. Nuts? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That that one's good too. That I mean, there, there's a lot of good great. ones. You know? Yeah, man. Mm-hmm. Um. Then uh, there's also DJ One with an interview with Lemmy from Motorhead. Also R.I.P. to Lemmy. <laughs> oh. Also, in this writing, the O from Motorhead does not have an umlaut. And it looks like Lemmy, I'd say, is an early 2000 AD fan because he talks about, like, Flesh and Harlem Heroes and stuff instead of more recent oh. stories, uh, thrills. He is my bro then. <laughs> you know, he definitely is into a couple of good early ones. Um, also, it sounds like the British Musicians Unit is trying to ban synthesizers and music. Boo! Oh, yeah, that's some crap. Yeah, what'll that's happen really to Soft happened. Cell, buddy? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> wow. In Prague 282, the great, and the great Garpo shall die. With Bella Dinelli drawing um, the dark side of space religion as cultists attack Ace Garp. <laughs> Which, you know, oh man, that story's great. I'm super, I'm super, I'm super stoked for basically the second half of this, of this episode in general. Mm. <laughs> There's only a half-sized nerve center this week as Tharg the Fat gives us letters that <laughs> include a pair of cats eating old progs and an ad for battle with a big fight for the Falklands section. Cause I guess it's the Falcons mania in uh, IPC this week, this month. <laughs> Jeez, get a badge from the SAS. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, mid prog, it's another of Tharg's mighty micro pages with some basic programs for various computers and a dot based drawing of dread that is supposed to be computer done. But honestly, to me, it looks like hand drawn dots. <laughs> Because they aren't, like, in a straight line or anything like that, you know? Yeah, a little bit, right? Like, it's definitely got, like, a voxel feel to it. Yeah, but it's like someone trying, or like a, like, almost like a dot matrix kind of feel or something. But it's someone trying to, trying to approximate it as opposed to it actually being, like, printed out by a computer, I guess. Fair. Prog 283, Robin Smith draws an excellent Tharg, and we get the robo, um, which has the uh, Robo Hunters Robo World poster in it in all its glory. Very cool. In the Nerve Center, uh, Blankety Tharg tells us <laughs> to prepare for a new Robo Hunters story, which is the World Cup one. Is um, is Blankety Tharg like is Blankety like a thing? Am I not oh, getting that? I don't think it's a specific thing. I think it's just like you know, like hey, like you know, he's just blank. He doesn't have a face. You know. Yeah, I gotcha. If it had come out in if this came out in like whatever nineteen ninety one and it was Tharg the blank, then it'd be a Dick Tracy reference. But I don't think that's oh, a good yeah. reference in nineteen eighty two. You know what I'm saying? Mm. <laughs> uh, letters want. Oh, also Tharg lets us know about a, a sweet new Robo Hunter poster starting this week. Letters want to get some blanks filled in for just a random issue of Meltdown Man, which I thought was kind of funny, <laughs> but is also sort of lets you know. Helps us remember the fact that people are not like subscribe. Like when you were subscribed to 2000 AD, you're like subscribed at like the uh, at the newspaper stand. Like you're going there. 
Yeah, you got to get down the newspaper stand. It's got to not be sold out. The news guy who runs the newspaper stand has to not be a jerk that like decides to just, I don't know, destroy all the 2000 ADs to laugh at the nerds that week or something like that. I just, I, I imagine it's like the reverse of the candy shop guy from oh, uh, yes. Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Absolutely. He's got a big cigar and he's like, you know, you get out of here with your wanting comics. I mean, out, Johnny. It's definitely if it's not it, it, it might just be the uh, the parts from the uh, Pat Mills book um, read them and weep but um, or the, uh, the the serial killer stories about about 70s comics but I just imagine everybody who runs a newspaper stand as being this old English guy with ink stained fingers who just hates everything and likes seeing uh, young people in pain you know <laughs> I'll take your farthing and you'll get what I give you. 18 pence if you're lucky but it says 16 cents on the cover 18 pence you know? <laughs> oh my god <laughs> but I sold all the boiled cabbage that I had for the you'll pay 18 and like it uh, so other letters ask why there's no pigeons in Mega City 1 or Britsit and the prog I mean. ends with the Robo Worlds poster which is Sam and basically every Robo Hunter character ever <laughs> And we start with the upper left portion, <laughs> with it, which has a lot of the newer Britsit characters in it. It's pretty cool. Yeah, man. In like the course of doing this show, I've just I've recently moved to a new apartment. And it's really taken all I can to not just start going through all these back issues and printing out all the posters and putting them on my walls and making them making this place be real nerdy, folks. <laughs> I'm thinking I'm about saying, it real hard. <laughs> I I'm just saying it'd be so number one to be pretty cool. Yeah. Photoshop is a thing, right? Mm-hmm. So you could at least. Like, stick them all together, then get a bigger right. printout, and then make it a real deal poster. Whoa. <laughs> that, that'd Frame be, that motherfucker. That'd be dope. Okay, now you've given me a... Now you've uh, you, you've done all the convincing I need to do to start pursuing this. Anyhow. Unleash the beast. <laughs> and speaking of uh, beasts showing up and being unleashed, Fox. Oh my god. Through four, Judge Dredd. Get hungry. <sighs> Script robot John Wagner and Alan Grant as TB Grover. Art robots Ron Smith and Carlos Escara. Letting a robot Tony Jacob. I have got to say, you know, for the unemployment rate being like 99%, and now probably much higher given that all the cities destroyed, I love that the commercial is focused on, like, my executive husband in this super high-paying CEO job. I need to cook for him and his friends. What do I do? If anything, I'd say unemployment is actually really low right now because... Um, Think so? Oh, yeah, wait, because everybody's in fucking labor, labor camps to <laughs> rebuild the city. <laughs> Well, I don't think they're CEOs at that point. Definitely, yeah. No, it's much more like forced hard labor, forced physical labor. But yeah, so this, this I should say also letting her about Tom Frame, of course. Um, so yeah, we start the story with a commercial of a uh, futuristic 1950s housewife that has to make dinner for her husband's boss. There's no time. Instead, oh, let's use Gunge. Oh, Sybil. Haven't you heard of Gunge? It's new from Otto Sump, and while it looks real gross, it's tasty, very tasty. That's yeah, it's weird, weird dinner party. I mean, it's just because it's a commercial dinner party too, so they got to say the jingle at the end, you know. That's Anyhow, fair. naturally, Dread is investigating Fox. <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, man. 
Yeah, Sump has no hard feelings about the whole ugly thing. He shows Fox, or he, Jesus Christ, he shows dread ar- around the factory where a bunch of gross, gross ingredients make for gross, gross food. <laughs> but here's the here's the real kicker. He takes all that gross crap, which no one wants, synthesizes it to its nutritional parts, which apparently make it delicious, mm-hmm. and he's gone to the trouble of making robots that will chew the food so it'll make pre-chewed food for for people what can't eat it. Yeah, for old stuff. And all and for stuff. the low, 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 low price of, like, way less than the other guys. Definitely. Yeah, Dredd takes the uh, food to the tech judge to test it, and it's perfectly safe and nutritious. No problem. Plus, in fact, yeah. it's pretty delicious. Yeah, and in a city starved by war that just literally had a whole bunch of fatties literally killing themselves and others to get more food, can we really afford to turn our noses up at this gross-ass gunge? Gross-ass gunge. <laughs> Dude, I just like Judge Shred's response. He's like, it's legal then? Fair enough. The citizens want to eat it, so much the better. Hey, that's all That's all Dredd cares about. Anyhow, can we afford to turn our noses up at it, Fox? Yes, says the Moral Health Committee, who are no oh. good busybodies. <laughs> My God. Why aren't they in their labor camps? Seriously, they want Gunge outlawed, and they take to the streets in protest. And um, are then, of course, taken straight to the ISO cubes. <laughs> hey, man, you, you need to get permits. You gotta do this shit within the law. Seriously. You can't just go holding up your signs and singing we shall not be moved we shall not be fed i guess um yep. but so so many people are going to the iso cubes in protest and it's just really just causing a big problem that in the end the city forcibly buys out sump and gudge production is taken over by the justice department <laughs> Where it's like poor Sump, man. He's just like again, man. He's just like, had a real bad run of like business options. They all work. He's all really. He's always really successful until Judge Dredd finds out about it, and then things start going bad. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think he's still incredibly rich. Like I think you know he's still, he got bought out. You know. Um, yeah, he's not. He's not going to be poor. Yeah. But hey, but, here's the real deal. Yeah. Turns out that the Justice Department ain't afraid of making a buck. Yeah, well, I mean, the point about the city not having a lot of food and Gunge being a good source of that is not, like, doesn't change. So instead, the Justice Department just takes all the Gunge ingredients, pulps them up to be unrecognizable, and it's sold as Justice Department food stuff A, B, and C in very <laughs> sort of uh, Repo Man-style plain containers and stuff. It's real um, good. It's immediately fed to all those busybodies in their prison cells, and what they don't know won't hurt them. Hey, man. They're just like, oh, it's so tasty. Ooh, this is tasty. Oh, my. Yeah, I'm not eating no gunge. I mean, I might. I don't know, man. It's just food. <laughs> just chew it up. It's going to end you know, up as crap in, in, in the end, you know? <laughs> that's what they said about Soylent Green, man. It ain't just food. It's people! Yeah, but, you know, if it's inexpensive, I mean, I don't know. I you know, dude. If it comes on a pizza. I mean, I, I, I'd eat Soylent Green pizza before I'd eat Soylent Pizza Fox. That's what I'm trying to say. Oh, God. <laughs> Fucking fair. I don't want to smell like cardboard. I don't want to, like, whatever horrifying um, stomach problems. But anyhow... Yes. Speaking of guys in prison, Fox, let's go to ISOBlock666. 
Sounds pretty bad. Yeah, it's always fun to see these ISO cubes, I gotta say. Um, especially when Judge Warden Sobrani decides to free everyone on level K! Hey man, what the heck are you doing? Ow, why'd you punch me? The perps are all free, including Fink Angel. I, I will tell you this, I really like their jumpsuits because they're all just downward-facing arrows? Yeah. <laughs> Across, like, in a pattern across, whatever. Anyway, the guys that he let out just beat the shit out of him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're loose in the city. Um, How do you respond to that? Well, you know, you chase them down, and eventually if they get, like, holed up in the ruins of the city, you just drop a bomb on them, dude. We don't got time <laughs> to deal with man with hostage <laughs> negotiations. Oh, so great. Um, back at the ISO cube, Sobrani is dying, but says that he doesn't know why he released the prisoners. Something just came over him. Cut to the planet Xanadu and Owen Chrysler, the goddamn Judge Child! Oh, he's still around being a weird kid. Mm-hmm. Fink moves to the ruins, evading Justice Department searches, and starts assembling poison materials, because it's time for revenge. Or, sorry, pison materials, it's time for revenge. I gotta make some pison. Making pison. Meanwhile, the Judge Child pours regeneration elixirs on the grave of Mead Machine Angel, and the grave begins to stir. So, you just gotta pour these regeneration elixirs on there. Why yeah. Why that to Paw Angel and... Uh, oh, cause they, oh, that, oh, cause they fell into lava, bro. Uh, they don't got graves, remember? <laughs> just pour it into lava, no. Just, well, you, but if you pour it in the lava, you don't know what you're gonna bring back to life, you know? It could be anything, could be anything in that lava, thing. yeah. <laughs> dinosaurs, maybe. Yeah, but not dinosaurs you can, con you can reason with, I guess. Um, so Fink is loose. And Mean is alive, and it's all thanks to the Judge Child. Uh, Chrysler sends Mean back to Earth, where he'll team up with his brother and take down Judge Dredd. I'd say he's not thinking ahead, but he is. <laughs> hey, all th one, all Mean Machine does is think is think is think ahead as he box oh, things with his judge brain. Child. And the Judge Child's thinking ahead too, because he can see the destiny. He had a vision. That's what I'm saying. Where a man of metal and a man of bone would kill Dread, and the alien robot Grunwalder is letting the Judge Child thus harness the force of destiny, since his psychic abilities have allowed the Droid Emperor to conquer the whole planet Xanadu. I like his his reasoning. It's just like, well, you know, yeah, he's my slave and whatever, but I'd like him to take his evil streak out on somewhere else than here. Hey, man, just because he's my slave and I'm an evil robot ruler doesn't mean I can't be nice to my subordinates every now and then, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Seems like an okay dude. Yeah. Mean headbutts his way aboard a shuttle to Earth as Dread. Oh, that's so great. Heads over to Recyc following a hunch. It turns out to be a good one as Fink is there, too, searching for his lost pet rat ratty. Oh, Raddy. He's the one with a cute little bowler hat. And the poisonous bite that'll kill you instantly. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, we all have our... Yeah, ups and downs, ups and of course. Down. Yeah. A body's found in Recyc, poisoned? Shut it down. But it's too late. Oh, Fink is, snap. is inside, poisoning as he goes, looking for Raddy. The angel and the rat take down the security forces until it's just Fink and Dread. Going through the tunnels under Recyc, Dread takes a poison bird to the helmet for good measure. Um, I just poisoned his hat. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. 
Dread tags Fink in the leg, and it looks bad until the Judge Child intervenes and the Recyc Man opens the valves of the tunnels, allowing Fink to escape. <laughs> like filling it with sludge? And I imagine, like, pulped up dudes and God knows what. Um, yeah, just gallbladder. Oh, so many spleens. Dread is starting to wonder if there's a bigger issue at hand as Owen Chrysler laughs and Destiny draws Dread closer to his doom. Oh my god. Next dial time, mean for murder. Next time, dial mean for murder. <laughs> so great. This is pretty good, man. This, uh, this storyline, Destiny's <laughs> Angels, isn't quite a full epic, but it's like a 12 progger or so. Um, oh, that's we're going to see some big changes. I mean, obviously, the big change of me of a uh, me machine being brought back to life is a real big one. You know, from here, he's going to sort of become one of Dread's big, like, long term villains and stuff. So it's a good man. That's back. great. Yeah, I'm ex- I'm really excited about this story. It's got some other plot developments that I think you're going to at first be annoyed with, but then be pleased with. <laughs> okay, I'm into that. Yeah, don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> But speaking of amusing plot developments, Fox. Oh, yeah. <laughs> five Ace Trucking. Man, uh, Ace Garb. <laughs> so, script robot Alan Grant and John Wagner as Grant Grover. Art robot Massimo Bellardinelli. Letting robot Steve Potter. So, um, when we last left Ace Garb, his point had been cut off by jerk human trucker Jack O'Kane. Where'd he get that axe? Luckily, thanks to the intervention of Superfeek, it looks like the whole thing was a holographic projection, like holodeck style, yeah. uh, which which was that thing that Feek was setting up on the spaceship last episode, which I think you called just instantly. <laughs> um, yeah. Ace is not pleased because he's a big spoil sport. Anyhow, the truckers arrive at the planet Cloister and unload their cargo. When the natives see Ace, start shouting, Garpo, he walks among us! Oh, man, what's this all mean? Yeah, they carry him off to some kind of temple, and this looks like trouble. Um, Ace is carried to the temple with both GBH and Feek, as well as Jago and his Biffo in hot pursuit. They arrive... If there was any doubt that he is not a god. (laughs) They arrive, and uh, they find the temple is full of statues of their god, Garpo, which looks just like Ace! He's even holding... In the giant statue, a giant flask of Mac Mac. <laughs> Absolutely. I want to say, I don't know if I've noticed this before. I, I'm positive I haven't talked about it on the uh, on the show. But I feel like recently Ace's uh, scarf has become way more animate. Like, I'm so the, into it. To the point where it's basically just a second set of hands. I mean, they can't lift anything, but they're definitely there for gesturing and stuff. Um, yeah, dude. I, I feel longer. Yeah, I don't know if it's always been this way, but this is when I definitely noticed that it's happening, I guess. Um, and yeah, I think it's a really great character thing for Ace. It just makes him mm. even more crazy and expressive and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, I just want to call that out. Anyhow, the uh, priest of Garpo declares that their god has returned as prophesied. Ace will be worshipped, and the riches of Cloistar will be pla- will be laid at his feet. Oh, man, I'm into riches. Ace is all about this, and it's party time for the luggers. Let's feast and make merry. Hey, but, why not? I'm going to eat this giant carrot because I'm GBH. <laughs> GBH knows how to party. Uh, as the feast draws to a close, we learn something else. As Garpo, Ace has to start fulfilling a series of miracles, starting 
with walking on white hot coals, which are currently being spread across the floor of the hall. Oh my god, how's he gonna do it? Everybody laugh at him, I guess. Yeah, he ends up just running across the coals real fast. Um, And you know it's gotta be tough because Ace has gigantic feet. You know, he's the opposite of a Rob Liefeld, of a a Rob Liefeld character in terms of his feet size. Um, Well, you know, like you spread it over an area, like that's the whole point, right? That's true. Walking across coals. Seems possible, yeah. He cools them in a big jug of of Mac Mac, and we learn as well that as well as Garpo, one of Garpo's disciples must also go across the whole coals, and buddy, it's gotta be Jago Kane. (laughs) Oh, hell yeah. F you, bro. Yeah. The luggers head out to the sweet palace of Garpo, where everybody beds down on a bed of flowers. Things are looking good again. Yeah. Until uh, the next prophecy of Garpo is carried out as evil ones attack him in the dead of night. Look out, Ace! It's a bunch of weirdos with masks and knives. Hootin' heck, there's knife-wielding killers all over. Um, And the rest of the crew is uh, forbidden to interfere. Ace uh, takes the time to knock out Jago for laughing at his predicament, which leads to uh, Kane being knocked out and his body causing the cultists to all trip. And because they were all just (laughs) running single file with their knives out, they all accidentally stab each other in the back. So great. Yeah, carry your knives underhanded, guys. I mean, that's just how you do it. I mean, come on. (laughs) Yeah, in the front row got it. Yeah, but uh, only but so that's cool, but only for a little bit because now it's time for Garpo's next prophecy to slay the loathsome dragon. Which all right, yeah, it's big and scary, and if Ace doesn't do it, then he'll be a false god. He'll be cl- declared a false god and killed. They sure do threaten that god. I mean, you know, they definitely... Ace has really been threatened a lot for a god in the course of this uh, religious proving, I'll say. Um, (laughs) Some religious dudes arouse the dragon with a giant Q-tip, and they're promptly burned to death by a dragon's fire. (laughs) Get lost! (laughs) The dragon is ready next time. God vs. Big Daddy. Man, I love Ace Trucking this month. It's so it's, ridiculous. This storyline is just uh, flat out like ridiculous and really funny, and just all of the uh, all this crazy god stuff. You know, hmm. I think I think it's a real interesting comparison. There's a really early um, uh, Cerebus comic by Dave Sim where he real where Cerebus realizes that he's also like looks exactly like the ancient god of a uh, of a primitive people, but instead he like <laughs> des- he destroys it and then uh, runs away. You know. Yeah, I there's these I I really like Bella Dinelli's art in this. Like the where, uh, yeah, go ahead, sorry. The like banquet scenes and things like that. Like I love it when he does these kind of panorama like look at all the weird shit. There's a lot of the there's shots. a lot of great stuff in this story. Yeah, the uh, the banquet scene I really love um like Ace it like the uh, just the hall of Garpos. <laughs> there's just so many cool like like different like I mean it, it's very like sort of Indian I'd say. I just like have a big like uh, yeah. Ace Garp Buddha and like an Ace Garp Shiva and stuff, but it's very like, you know, look at all these different like religious icon iconographies that we've taken and um, made Ace Garpy, you know? Yeah, exactly. Always. It, it gives a very, like, it's a sci-fi story uh, sort of peopled by characters from a big museum feel for Ace Garp, which I guess starts with um, with Feek being based on that Aztec death god and kind of goes mm-hmm. from there, I guess. <laughs> yeah, wait, why not? Hey, totally. 
So let's, uh, you know, get to the ultimate thing because things are also heating up in our next thrill, Fox. Thrill 6, Future Shocks, and Tharg the Mighty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so just uh, one Future Shock and one Tharg story this month, Fox. There's uh, So the Future Shock is Sunburn, uh, script robot Alan Moore, art robot Jesus Redondo, lettering robot Jack Potter. And I think this is a fun little future shock. We start with some uh, science mumbo-jumbo about force fields letting people settle on the surface of the sun. And now it's, <sighs> most, it's mostly a vacation spot for citizens in the year 2256. Um, this just generally seems like a bad idea. It's true. I mean, you know, as we see, um, it's usually pretty fun, but not for Rorschach scubs who killed his wife uh, within hours of arriving on the sun because sometimes just being on the sun brings that out in people sometimes. <laughs> he tries to wait until night to hide the body, but there ain't no night on the sun, buddy. I mean, you know. Um, Come on. He hazards to go anyway, but gets caught by the cops. And this leads to an awesome foot chase through the various sun-based tourist areas of the sun. There's a pallor parlor where hipsters go to not get a suntan. <laughs> Dude. There's a flame-proof uh, fashion uh, uh, fashion places and even lava surfers. Pretty dope. Yeah, in the end, Scobes manages to steal... Uh, to steal a, a sun steamboat. Um, he intends to escape. His plan is that he's going to take this boat, um, fly to another settlement on the sun where he'll be able to, well, he'll be free from extradition and be able to spend his, spend his wife's insurance money safely. Um, but man, he turned out, he uh, forgot about the fact that the sun's covered in force fields that, you know, <laughs> let you not burn up. So he crosses the border of one and is immediately burned to ash. Well, there you go. Yeah, he finally found his place in the sun. <laughs> so great. Oh, some of my favorite future shocks, by which I mean the ones that are the most groan-inducing, are the ones where they start with the punchline and then work backwards, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's I like, think, all right, guys. I think it's funny. This is also um, the first, but... Certainly not the most famous uh, Alan Moore character named Rorschach, but whatever. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, you got to think about it. Um, next up, it's The Shedding. Script robot The Mighty One. Art robot Eric Bradbury. Letting robot Steve Potter. So, oh, man. This... Guess what predictable thing happens in this one? <laughs> King's Reach Tower is dropping Tharg off in the methane seas of Jupiter, where he will shed his skin and grow a new one. The maggot-like proto-Tharg uh, chills in the, in the methane sea, leaving a desiccated husk behind. But hey, also, um, there are the no-good dictators of Zrag! They gather up the shed skin and have their mom, the hag of Zrag, animated into a loyal, perfect copy of Tharg. Fake Tharg goes to the 2000 AD offices, reassigns Bert to sales, which I'm assuming is some sort of um, 2000 AD front office in joke about Richard Burton not wanting to work sales or something like that. Mm -hmm. Or maybe, yeah, maybe. He'd, be, he'd be bad at it just because he says um all the time and all that stuff. <sighs> and then he brings in some new sub editors, the dictators of Zrag. I guess. Just do that. That yeah. doesn't send any red flags at all. You know, you know, they assume that Tharg knows what he's doing. They've marooned the real Tharg, and now it's time for their true mission, destroying 2000 AD from the inside out. 
To wit, next episode, bring back Death Planet! Duh. <laughs> no. Oh, man. Please don't do that. Oh, we're bringing it back, buddy. You're going to oh. deal with Lorna Varn's future adventures aboard that planet with walkie-talkie squirrels. It's going to be awesome. No. We're going to... It's happening! <laughs> oh. Not actually, but okay. Some I um I'm gonna spoil you, Thar. I'm gonna spoil you, Fox, by letting you know that Tharg will return and God mode his way out of this. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. And with that, we're done with thrills for this month, Fox. What What did you think? What were your top and bottoms for this September 1982? Oh, fucking snap! Uh, I'm gonna tell you, it's pretty easy this month for me. Top was a striking man. Nice. It was real cool. It was, uh, like, uh, real weird. Uh, I think, you know, we got... I like that he's there with Jago Kane, but they're not really at each other's throats. There's just, like, this bigger thing going on, but they still have their rivalry. Yeah, they're sort I of... Like, right, yeah, they aren't, like, punching each other. They're more just sort of, like, trying to one-up each other with Ace being like, hey, isn't it cool I'm a god? And Jago yeah, being exactly. like, oh, like, you're a god, but everybody's trying to kill you. It's funny, you know? It's just like the real slapstick ways things get kind of solved, and mm-hmm. I like these larger pictures. I mean, when Bellardinelli gets to just like have some space to draw, I'm really, I'm just really happy. I really agree with that. Yeah, uh, and for bottom man, I, I mean, I'm going to say Mean Arena. Disappointing close, rushed finish. Yeah, I, I just. I, I know that sometimes you just got to make a call and cancel something out, but, you know, I I wanted at least two more hilarious uh, deaths. I mean, I, I, we did get Mother Earth. I got that, or Mother Vlad, whatever. Yeah. But, you know, I was hoping for two more before we said goodbye, and instead it was just kind of a fast forward. Yeah, it was definitely fun, like, just sort of shouting what the heck <laughs> at the, like, uh, at the ridiculous kills yeah. that Matt Talon did, you know? I mean, like, go to ridiculous lengths to have a man uh, just made to look exactly like you. That's so when he s- burns underneath a car, <laughs> which you definitely planned. I feel like that's just going to stick That's going to stick with us forever. I feel like of just being the most over the top thing, you know, that and like da- that 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 and like danger acid feels like the most <laughs> that really like sets the bar for ridiculous oh, murders, danger you know. Danger acid. <laughs> danger acid so bizarre. Filling this place up with acid. <laughs> cool. All <laughs> that's right. The way to murder all these evil scientists. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, man. Well, how about you? What was your top and bottom? Oh, man. Well, I'm going to say solidarity on the bottom, man, with Mean Arena. Oh, I hate these rushed ends, you know? Yeah. Like two at once is just a real bummer. Just because, again, yeah. Like, again, I feel like we did kind of complain about, like, oh, Matt Town's supposed to be a hero when he's killing these guys all, like, super villainy. But honestly, that was, like, kind of fun. Like, I'm inter- I was interested to see. That was an interesting standard that I would have liked to see them continue to do, you know? Yeah, like, exactly. Because, like, you know, even knowing who all these people are, like, uh, uh, man. Man, I, I just would have loved to see a crazy ironic death for like uh, Kevin O'Connor, the uh, the announcer. Oh my stuff. god, that would have been it so cool. Just gets killed by like a like a television camera or something. something. I don't know. Yeah, and for top, I'm yeah, and for top, I'm gonna say Judge Dread, Judge Dread, buddy. Um, oh yeah, dude. Like this Destiny's Angels storyline's real cool. I love seeing Mean Arena come back. I like getting sort of tying up some loose ends with um 
with both uh, Fink Angel and the Judge Child, especially. I mean, you know, he doesn't die. Like, they just sort of leave him up there. So I think it's interesting to sort of yeah. see, like, check back in on him and stuff. Um, and that he's got new superpowers would make him jump yeah. inside of people. Yeah, tran- and, like, f- across solar systems and stuff. Um, he's a powerful psychic. Totally. And then, um, and also the other one is uh, is the uh, is the Otto Sump story. I mean, the Gunge story. I love that story. Oh, Gunge is great. The I hairy love... chocolate bars was real gross. Like you know, anytime Ron Smith gets to draw gross shit, it's really <laughs> it's really great. He's so good at it. You know, he's just really good. Like he draws ugly, incredibly beautifully. And any chance he gets to mm. do it, I'm in favor of it. You know, and plus, like you know, Otto some sponsored the show this week, so I gotta you know I can be bought. I don't, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> we love our sponsors, <laughs> absolutely. Um, so yeah, anyhow, <laughs> I hope you enjoyed the show. Um, and you can always find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, or on our podcast site, Cradleline.com. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com, on the 2080 forums, or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages, on Twitter at spacespinner2k. For everything else, just look up Space Spinner 2000. We should be there. Oh, and, man. And then come back as we take a look at the 1983-2000 AD annual. We oh, got nice. There's a lot of old friends here, Fox, uh, Strontium Dog, Robusters, yes, ABC yes, Warriors. Yes. And just one of the greatest Nemesis the Warlock stories that I've seen. Oh, it's real good. I like Nemesis the Warlock. You know, Kev O'Neill back doing really awesome artwork and all this. Just a lot of world-building Nemesis stuff, which I think we're both very um, interested in. I love Nemesis the Warlock. I want always Nemesis the Warlock. Mm-hmm. There's also new stories for Dread and Rogue Trooper, as well as classic, as well as classic thrills, including Harlem Heroes, Invasion, yeah. and Mach yeah. One. Yeah, I think it's this is this can be great. I gotta say, once we got to like in the last you know t- t- uh, year, I'd say once we started really getting these classic ones in these annuals. Ooh, they just really become a highlight or just something to look forward to, you know? Yeah, goodbye sci-fi special. Hello, new fucking era. Oh, yeah. Anyhow, so until then, I'm Conrad, he's Fox, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Splendid Splendid Verthrig! Verthrig!